It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn and welcome to the Walker Report podcast in association with the Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It's good to be back in the hosting chair after being quizzed by Gav during the summer. And because things are getting exciting, we thought we would catch up with someone who can not only provide a neutral view of Sunderland, but can also help us look at the rest of the championship. You may know this person from Sky Sports, Five Live or Not The Top 20 podcast. It is, of course, George Alec. Welcome, George. Thank you very much for having me as ever. It always feels like the season's about to get under the way when I come on to Roka Report. Well, I was thinking, you know, thanks again for joining us, but it, it, is it your fourth appearance? I was trying to count the so. other day. Just, yeah. If you didn't get the match ball for the third one, we'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to chuck you on over. Because I imagine, you know, this week of all weeks, it's a pretty busy week ramping up to the kickoff. Yeah, I've, I've done an interview with Rams TV for Derby, just did a podcast for Cambridge, did our Oxford preview. Uh, I feel like I'm doing a media tour, but I'm looking forward to, and <laughs> with, with the 1 to 24s going out, uh, I'm actually looking forward to watching some some football this weekend rather than just talking about what we think may or may not happen. Well, I've I've listened, we were talking before we started, I've listened to, to those and I've got some bones to pick with that, but I'm looking forward to getting on to that, okay. but we'll have to, we'll, we'll see in a minute. But like I said, we're, we've spoken to you a while back, um, again, by my reckoning, we haven't spoken to you since December 2021, Wow. so just over 18 months ago. But just quickly out of interest, do you think there's anyone out there who missed Sunderland being in League One last season, or, or were they all glad to see the back of it? <laughs> um... I think now everyone's happy to see the back of you, to be honest. It's been a transition <laughs> period in, in League One. We, we lost, we got rid of Sunderland. We've now got rid of Ipswich and, and Sheffield Wednesday. It, it all feels a bit more like League One um, rather than rather than a shark-infested waters, which it was before. Yeah, it was It was all of the, the former Premier League clubs that were badly run, marooned in, in the third tier. Um, there's, so there's, still, there's still one or two of those, the hangover, of course, yeah. for, for Derby and Bolton, uh, still going on. But um, it won't be long till they're out, I don't think, either. Yeah, well, I, I hope people don't take it personally from League One when I say it. I really didn't miss them, but um, it was it was certainly nothing nothing personal. Um, and again, the, the last time uh, we spoke to you, uh, we had, you know, going back, it was almost like a different world. We had Lee Johnson as manager, but more importantly... Christian Speakman had been in the job for pretty much bang on 12 months by that point. I mean, has it surprised you how quickly he put his stamp on on things at the club and how different the outlook of the club is now? Because when you look at it, essentially he's had, I mean, there's been six transfer windows in total, but I mean, he, looking back, he was appointed weeks before his first one and, and obviously we haven't finished mm. this one. So he's really only had four full transfer windows to do that in. 
I think it's really impressive. Um, I, I think we're getting to the stage now where when analysing Sunderland's transfer business, you know, you look through the, the list of names that have been brought in and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've sat and watched lots of Trisantis or Silt or Mayenda, but but you've built, I mean, and we'll get on to Hermir, I'm sure, in a bit, but, you, you know, you've built a reputation now under the current recruitment team where you can just be pretty confident that these players that Sunderland are bringing in are good, you know, that they are being identified in the right way. Um, it's incredibly brave, I think, what, what you're doing in terms of just looking purely at youth. But it's also interesting to note, you know, when you look at the transfer saga over the over the summer between Jack Clark and Burnley, that yes, the model will be to bring in young players and sell them for big profit, but only if it suits Sunderland. You're not going to balk at the first offer that comes in for, for young talent. And that is something to be commended as well. So yeah, it's really impressive what, what the club are doing now. It's such a far cry from where you were with that bloated squad, um, you know, initially, you know, the you managed to get promoted out of League One whilst cost-cutting, which in itself was, was incredibly impressive. Uh, and now the recruitment in the championship is is great. So I would almost go as far as saying that at the moment you're a, a blueprint, I think, for, for many championship clubs to follow when looking to recruit. You know, and you look at Burnley last season who did very similar where they were getting young, young players in from, from the continent. I'm excited to see how these new guys get on. Well, you talked about it being a blueprint because everyone over the last five, ten years has looked at Brentford. I mean, they've been almost like the golden standard for that sort of blueprint. But looking at what we've done, I mean, I, I almost think we've taken that to the next level. Has it surprised you how extreme we've gone in, in actually how we've built our squad? Yeah, really surprising. Um, and I'm and I'm kind of amazed that it worked. Like when you think about last season, and that's not, you know that I'm saying that in a very positive way. Like it, when you look back at last season. In my mind, and you, and you especially consider what happened with with Ross Stewart and his injuries, and, and Ellis Sims being recalled from his loan. There's absolutely no way you should have been able to, to to force your way not only into the playoffs, but but you know, looking like you could feasibly force your way back in the Premier League at the first time of asking, because you know you're a side who came up through the playoffs out of League One, first season back in the Championship. It, it's pretty rare these days that teams who get promoted out of League One challenge immediately towards the top end, basically playing without a striker for the most part. Um, even when you know when Galhart came in, he's not that out and out number nine that you that you had previously with with other players, and yet it worked. And you know, no noticeable or no genuine um, out and out centre backs to finish the season either. I think Tony Mowbray deserves immense credit for getting the side to play with such freedom. Um, I interviewed him halfway through last season when Ahmad Diallo won the um, EFL Young Player of the Month, and and Tony did the did the press rather than Ahmad. And just talking to him about the development of young players is you can see that he is someone who, you know, I think his reputation as a player kind of gets him pigeonholed by some who don't know his management style as a bit of a dinosaur, but he's anything but. He's all about getting players to play with freedom, youth youth development. And it's so easy to see that with the with the, with the style of football that you play. And, you know, it, it was incredibly exciting to watch. And that's what excites me the most about Sunderland this season is you know, those core players. I've got very little doubt. And I know that Dan Neal has divided opinion in the past at Sunderland, but I think that Dan Neal, Dennis Serkin, Jack Clark, these are players who should really play the majority of the rest of their career in the top flight somewhere. And you're still adding young players to surround them with rather than some experienced pros. I can't wait to see how it's going to look. Yeah, yeah. And and just kind of everything you've said there about Tony Mowbray, in addition to obviously us given all these young players game time minutes on the pitch I think we were we were way ahead of anybody in terms of players under 22 uh, you know getting minutes on the pitch out of out of the league I mean we were way ahead but do you think we can go as far as to say that actually young players and agents are looking at Sunderland as a destination where actually 
they want to get their players or young players want to play. Yeah, I'm sure they are. I mean, Premier League clubs will look at the the Ahmad loan in particular and, and see what came before where he went obviously to Rangers and, and seemingly didn't really pull up any trees or wasn't particularly well rated by the fans and has come to to, to Sunderland and, and feasibly, you know, could be a part of the uh, of the Manchester United squad this season. Like that is exactly what you want out of a loan. It's rerouting someone's career, breathing a bit of confidence in them, showing them they are able to do it. And, you know, and if it doesn't work out for, for Ahmad at United, then his value in over the course of that loan obviously went back towards what Manchester United paid for him. So, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that clubs will be looking to, to send their players out on loan to Sunderland. When it comes to agents, it's difficult because, you know, as much as we all like to, to hope and think that clubs do the majority of their business via kind of player ID and going after them, there are still loads of businesses done via agents and, and probably too much. And I kind of get the feeling that Sunderland's model is, is trying to move away from that where it's not necessarily agents who are coming to Sunderland and pitching their players. It's more Sunderland finding young talents that they think are going to be um, of the requisite quality. But yeah, I mean, it's, it is definitely a far cry from from where we were after Sunderland's relegation from the Premier League. Um, it, the club just feels completely different and the, and the squad in itself and the way you're operating. Um, it's going to be yeah, a long process, but it definitely feels like you will be, as a football club, in a far stronger position when inevitably you do return to the top flight. Yeah, it was interesting. You were talking about Jack Clark there and the possibility, you know, that keeping hold of players. But one thing, you know, I was trying to, th- I was thinking about this the other day. If I was running Premier League club who haven't got recruitment right over the last five years, and probably the best example is Everton. Mm. Everton's probably the best example, or one of the best examples out there. I mean, if I was looking at Sunderland and looking what Christian Speakman's done in pretty, well, four full transfer windows, do you think that's an aspect as well where other clubs, other kind of Premier League clubs might be looking at Christian Speakman and thinking, well, you know, this guy knows what he's doing and could do a job with us? Yeah, and Stuart Harvey as well. I think we have to bring him into the conversation yeah. too as, as as head of player recruitment. You know, it's very hard for us from the outside. You know, know better than me how the process works, who we can attribute the, the player ID uh, for these successful signings to. But yeah, I mean, you just have to look at Stuart Weber at Norwich, who three or four years ago was, uh, you know, being touted as one of the great minds in football. There were links with him to Manchester United at the time. And a couple of years later, in a, in a few bad windows, he's now walking out of Norwich at some point in the next few weeks. And there's talk that he may not even stay in football. So I don't think the football is quite, you know, we're now seeing this director of football, head of recruitment model, you know, being implemented pretty much across the game. I don't think the recruitment of, direct, of directors of football has necessarily developed alongside that yet. Um, but the good news for Sunderland is, you know, the, the ceiling for this club is, is obviously so high. Like it doesn't feel like, Unless Speakman or Harvey got an offer from one of the clubs who are currently playing European football, there's no real need to leave because you're obviously being given a lot of freedom. It's a, it's a club with a huge fan base. And if you can get them into the Premier League, then there's no reason why Sunderland can't be a team. You know, you look at Aston Villa and Brighton and Brentford this season, who will all be, have ambitions to break into that top six. There's no reason why you know Sunderland can't be there in, in the short term, let alone the long term. And we'll probably touch back on Norwich because, um, yeah, I... I just don't get what's happened there. <laughs> the form has <laughs> fallen apart. But we'll, we'll yeah. come back onto them when we talk about the Championship. Because um, going back to last season, uh, which was obviously our first back in the Championship, in the build-up, pretty much all of us at, at Rock Report were writing that, you know, of course we were looking forward to, to the new season. But we were going to be perfectly happy with a season of consolidating in the Championship. That You know, we were quite happy with that. Almost saying, let's just stay up. Mm. But 
you know, I don't think I don't think any of us really expected a top six finish. And you know, of, of course, we got kind of caught up in how you know amazing it all was. But from from your point, from the outside, I mean, was it as an impressive season as as we thought it was? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely didn't see it coming either. I don't think anyone really did, um, and that again is testament to the job that Tony Mowbray did in difficult circumstances. Given that, you know. I don't think Alex Neal saw this coming either, given his decision to move to to Stoke. But obviously, that was because you know we talk about the model and you know the infrastructure that's been put in place at Sunderland. Quite clearly, Alex Neal wanted more um, say in terms of transfers that he wasn't going to get at Sunderland. But I didn't see it coming. I think it was an amazing achievement to to get Sunderland there. As I said, I think often you know if you take every like right now, if you take, if you look at the Championship, League One, League Two, there will a hundred percent be good sides who's hopes of promotion or playoffs are scuppered not by anything they do wrong themselves but by injury and by by you know having issues that you can't really legislate for and it felt like that should have happened with Sunderland last season given the amount of injuries you had and, and the stuff that went against you over the course of the season so you managed to be a team that even the probably the most optimistic Sunderland supporter would have had finishing mid-table had loads of injuries that you thought would knock you back and still ended up finishing sixth um yeah a, a remarkable achievement and you know I I've read a lot of previews this week with people saying that they think Sunderland might fall away a little bit and, and basically using Ahmad as, as the main reason for that. And obviously, you know, some of his performances and especially some of his goals were, were unbelievable to see. But like, he, he did go missing for quite a big part of the season at a time where Sunderland went from being a decent mid-table side to suddenly hold on, this is a playoff team. So I, I think it's way too simplistic to look at one player and think that the impact they had was was so transformative that his departure obviously will hurt, but also when you consider the age of the squad and players, you know, the ones I mentioned, like Neil Clark, these players are entitled to to, to kick on and improve again at, at the age that they are. I don't see any reason why, you know, and obviously with, with good performances, expectations rise, but I don't see why Sunderland fans shouldn't be not expecting, but hoping that this could be a season that could yield something similar. Yeah, because it, it was such a bizarre script, last season for Sunderland. I mean, I've never seen anything like that, you know, in my lifetime supporting the club because like you said, you know, popular manager leaving who, you know, kind of all surprised us and we hadn't had a manager leave us for another club since the seventies um, <laughs> when Adamson went to, when, when Adamson went to Leeds, but you know, you told about the standard of football then went up <laughs> under the, under the new manager. I mean, mm. that, that goal at Reading um, will live with me for, oh, for a long time. I know that. Wasn't um, even nominated for goal of the season. Unbelievable. Oh, I mean, was that as big a surprise to you as it was to us? Because we just could not understand that. So I don't want to get in trouble, but I'll, I'll let you know. If you, I'll let you know if you can keep this one. Or I, I, I got a vote in the in the goal of the season, um, and when I was sent the shortlist, I replied with my selection, but replied and but said the actual goal of the season hasn't been included on the list. It was Jack Clark against Reading, mm. and I didn't get a reply. <laughs> so I agree. We just could not understand that, but uh, but yeah, I mean, like, like you said, the script for last season, you know, you know, new manager, average age of the squad, which was just ridiculous, uh, injuries to the likes of Ross Stewart. I mean, did you just keep thinking, oh, Sunderland are going to fall away in a minute? <laughs> They're just going to disappear? And no, I don't think so. No, no, no. I, I didn't. I didn't think that. I think the the performances and the players you had at your your disposal meant that it was hard to see why you would fall away. You know, there was no luck here. It wasn't like you were kind of riding the crest of the wave with a, with a brilliant finishing streak. Obviously, there were concerns as to where the goals were going to come from quite a lot of the time. But I think I think it became pretty obvious quite early in the season that Sunderland were at the very worst mid-table side. And, you know, given the additions you've made, I mean, I, I know that I think Ross Stewart's injury being until kind of mid to the end of September is probably quite a good thing where it means that there aren't really anyone 
there's no one looking to, to bring him in this summer, which helps. With Hamir coming in, you've got another body up front. And I know that he's got a lot of Sunderland fans excited. I would just urge some caution. I always think pre-season, you should just completely write it off, judging players, teams or anything else. Um, but I am excited to see how he gets on. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason why this, this shouldn't be another good season. Yeah. Well, before we get into details about what you think about Sunderland, um, let's have a bit of a wander around the championship and you can kind of bring us up to speed maybe a little bit. Let's take the three that came down from the Premier League first. Um, so obviously we've got Leeds United, Southampton and Leicester. They've all got new managers and Leicester especially seem to have really gone in and, and spent some money. You know, I was staggered by how much they spent on Conor Cody. But in your book, uh, you know, out of those three, who's kind of best placed to, to bounce straight back? So... Yeah, if you haven't listened to our 1-24s to yet and not the top 20, go and listen to them. But I'm probably going to give you some spoilers here. Um, Leicester are the, are the favourite with the bookies to go up. And I don't really see it myself. I guess they might have the highest ceiling. You know, in Enzo Maresca, they've got this uh, Pep Guardiola disciple. You know, he's worked under Pep um, at Manchester City as his assistant. He worked under Sam Pauli at Sevilla as his assistant. He's best mates with Roberto De Zerbi. So as I wrote in a written preview, you know, if you can get managerial genius via osmosis, then... Then he might be that, but the, but the only managerial job he's had in his career so far was back in 2021 when he was appointed Palmer manager, and it was a very similar situation. Palmer, the biggest club in Serie B, looking to return back to Serie A. He had Buffon in goal, you know, a, a glut of um, of you know high profile players. He signed a three year contract, and he was sacked in November, um, having got I think 17 points from 11 games. And, and when he was sacked, he came out and he said, look, you know, I'm a process manager. I, it takes time for my my ideas to come across. And, you know, this is only three months into a three-year project. So but by that kind of marker, he, even if he is a very good manager, I'd be pretty wary of of, of bullishly saying that Leicester are going to hit the ground running here, given that he's already had it in one job, come out and said, I need time. I agree. I think the Cody, Cody signing is a really weird one. I just don't think spending £7.5 million on a 30-year-old centre-back on Premier League wages, who's lost his place at Wolves, that Everton didn't retain their option in at the back end of last season makes any sense. You have to play a very specific way for Conor Cody to work as well, where he has to be that kind of ball player at the back. Um, I think Harry Winks is another weird one. You know, I was actually a big Winks fan when he was playing well for Poch at, at Tottenham, but he spent last season on at, at Sampdoria in Serie A, who got relegated without really playing particularly well. These, you know, I, I never like teams, I mean, Sunderland fans will know a bit about this, but teams coming down from the Premier League with bloated wages on players who may think they are too good for the level or, or may seem too good for the level, whose careers are actually on a downward trajectory, just doesn't really seem the blueprint for success. With Southampton, I really rate Russell Martin, but again, he's another process manager. Things could take time to settle. We don't know who's going to be there. Like Unlike Leicester, who've already sold the majority of the players that they're going to get rid of. With Southampton, you know, they played a friendly on Saturday where Ward-Prowse and Lavia, um, Ward-Prowse started, Lavia was on the bench. We don't really know what's going to happen with those. We assume Lavia will move on. But with Ward-Prowse, there seems to be a bit of a of an impasse at the moment as to whether or not he will do. So they've got a quality squad. They've got Adam Armstrong, who has scored goals at this level. Trey Adams as well. Will Smallburn who had a good loan at Stoke last season. Nathan Taylor who had a great loan at Burnley. Although rumours he might be off. I mean, their squad is very good. Um, big test for Martin, though, to show that he is capable of not only playing good football but but having the substance to go with that too finally Leeds are the ones and I kind of surprised myself where I think they're actually probably in the best position to to, to go back up and I don't think many Leeds fans agree uh, yeah, they, yeah. That's, they, yeah they've got Daniel Farker as manager who's won this league twice unlike um, Martin and Maresca 
there's way less process in terms of what he does. You know, it, it is aggressive and attacking, but but it's it's kind of irregular. Just get the ball down and play. Get the ball into um, into talented um, the talented front players. You know, he had Buendia at Norwich. But the good thing in my mind about Leeds is that their quality players are, are just that step below the likes of Madison and um, and Barnes and Ward Prowse, where they're maybe not quite good enough to get those big moves. You know, we saw Everton come in for for Willie Nonto at 15 million and, and Leeds turned it down. Players like Sinistiera as well. You know, these are quality players at championship level who maybe aren't quite good enough to or, or, or warranting those big fees. And they're, therefore, they're probably going to stay. Um, I think Ethan Ampadu being the first signing made by the new Leeds owners is a, is a pretty good sign as to where they're going to look to recruit. That's the kind of signing that if you're going to spend £7 million in the championship, go and get a guy who's in his early 20s with the rest of his career ahead of him who could feasibly be a you know, 20, 30 million pound player in a few years' time. Um, so Leeds fans were surprised with our reasoning, but I think where, where we are right now, I think Leeds probably look like the ones I would anticipate could go back. Yeah, I, I did I did notice that, that pretty much exclusively all Leeds fans disagreed with you that the club would, club would do well. <laughs> it was it was bizarre. But again, kind of looking looking more at the championship, we're talking obviously about Sunderland um, and what we're doing in terms of recruitment, kind of building the club from the from the bottom up. Looking at the championship, it just seems littered with clubs who have obviously fairly recently been in the Premier League three or four years ago or whatever. And I'm thinking the likes of Norwich City, Watford, West Brom, and all of those, when I look at them and the way they're doing things, I just think, actually, they're in a bit of trouble and, and seemingly becoming examples of how not to do things. Yeah, definitely. Um, for, for various reasons. You know, with West Brom in particular, you know, the, the fan groups at West Brom are, are really concerned. Um, the, you know, post-parachute payments and, and with the owner having taken out, having allegedly taken out a, a big loan um, against the club. If they fail to go up this season, there are serious existential worries at West Brom about their future. Um, it's been a an absolute car crash really since their relegation. Um, you know, it's mad to think that they they sat Valerian Ishmael when they were up in fifth uh, in February and their first season down. You know, with with a genuine opportunity to to go back up again because you know the style of play didn't didn't fit the eye test. Um, with Watford, just. You know, if they're ever going to learn, if if they're ever going to learn their ways, then surely sacking Rob Edwards when they're in fourth, and then watching him go down the road to their rivals and take them up to the Premier League has to be the moment. Um, they said they would back him through hell and high water, and then sacked him just weeks later. So, yeah, you think now is the time to to maybe stick by your man, who is the aforementioned Ishmael. Uh, and with Norwich, they, they came down with the manager in Dean Smith, who the fans weren't really behind, and it wasn't long until they were they were out for him. It's the same this season with David Wagner coming in halfway through last season. He didn't really do too much positive, except for a bit of a bounce when he first came in. And again, he's going to be under pressure if things don't start well. And with Weber walking out of the club too. So, yeah, I mean, concerns with the way that all of them are operating. And I do think maybe it's hard when you come down from the Premier League to to kind of clear the decks effectively. But Burnley showed what can be done, where you can go out, bring in a manager to play in a certain style, recruit the players to play a certain style and turn it around very, very quickly and be dominant at the level. So that, you know, it, it is doable. We just haven't seen many do it. Yeah. And I mean, just just leading kind of that sort of conversation into what, you know, what's possibly going to happen at the bottom. I mean, obviously I've listened to your prediction podcast. You, you seem to have kind of the usual suspects down there, you know, people who you'd expect. And, and I noticed you were kind of, 
you know, kind of touching on this subject a little bit. Do you, but do you think one of those bigger sides could possibly get dragged into that mess at the bottom? It's always really hard to predict this because, you know, I think we had Watford down in, in kind of 14th or 15th in our predictions, which yeah. feels like aggressively low. But yeah, we, we've seen it in the past. You know, last season we were we were really concerned about Huddersfield, who were playoff finalists the year before. And I think we had them in a similar position. And then as soon as the season started, you realise that actually if you're concerned about a side, then relegation is is a possibility. So yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's possible. Sitting here right now, I think Watford and Norwich and Baggies and all these teams have have plenty enough to to get out of it. But then you only have to think back to the beginning of last season when both Middlesbrough and, and, and West Brom were down in the, you know, around the relegation zone. So Again, as Sunderland fans know, you're never too good to go down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, I don't want to. I'm certainly not overconfident. <laughs> put it that way. But I mean, I like I said, I've I've listened to your predictions podcast, and we'll come on to Sunderland and Ipswich specifically in a minute because obviously we face each other on the opening day. But I, I thought last season was an odd season in the championship because, you know, obviously in terms of the fairly low points tally that actually was needed to make the playoffs. I think I think it was around 10 years since that points tally was it, it was that low to make the playoffs. But do you think this season this seems to be because I was looking at I was looking at your prediction podcast, I was looking at, at, at some other predictions. And do you think this season when you look at the table there's some there's more distinct tiers where gaps might open up as opposed to last season where everyone seemed to be taking points off each other. Yeah, maybe. I mean last season was was crazily open where even yeah. with, with weeks ago the season you could go down to kind of 14th and still make a case for how they could get into the playoffs I, I don't think we'll see that again last season was also kind of a a perfect storm for teams like Sunderland where Watford and Norwich who we all anticipated were kind of locks to be at least in the conversation for the playoffs were basically the first to drop out of that race and that enabled others to come through you know sitting here right now I find it really hard to imagine that any of Leeds Southampton or, or Leicester will drop a Watford or drop a Norwich, um, which makes it obviously more congested up towards the top end. So, yeah, I think last season may have been a bit of an anomaly. But as I say, you know, you, you, you can't be sure of these things. And and with Sunderland there, Coventry there, Millwall there, these are all sides where there's no discernible reason to think they're going to massively drop off from last season. Yeah, yeah. I just can't imagine another... Luton Coventry playoff final, but uh, no. you know, stranger things have ha- stranger things have happened. Um, j- just quickly, a quick word on the 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 lower two leagues. You know, as much as I'd as much as I'd like to be interested in the Wrexham story, um, <laughs> the the Phil, the Phil Parkinson effect is a bit of a turn off for me uh, personally. Yeah. I just um, you know we've you know with our bitter experience, um, I can't quite go there. But uh, for the likes of yourselves, I mean, have you seen a spike in interest in in people like yourselves covering the football league in total? Have people just jumped on it from a Wrexham point of view? Um, we were in at Sky last week and we had to do a YouTube video on whether Wrexham could stay up. So that was the first time it's really perforated. <laughs> Um, sorry, whether they could go up, I should say. Um, yeah. It's very important to Ali and I when covering the EFL that we don't kind of chase the numbers, I guess. And, and mm. two teams came up last season from, from the National League, two EFL stalwarts, two teams that deserve le- equal coverage in Notts County and Wrexham. We're not going to suddenly sit here and start doing a midweek Wrexham pod because they've got a big fan base over in, over in the States. <laughs> I think inevitably we're going to see more interest in League Two. Um, and hopefully that's going to be really good for the whole product. I also think that what what Ryan Reynolds and um, Rob McElhenney have done at Brexham deserves massive credit. You know they've given a club back to to a local fan base. That's the most important thing. You know you can talk about the documentary, you can talk about 
the, the globalization of Wrexham. But actually, if you, you know, you go to the race course ground and you, and you see the fans there and you speak to the fans there, they've breathed life into a club that was, that was sadly kind of drifting away. So I, I completely applaud them for that. With Parkey, I actually said on our, on our one to 24s, you know, you think of the, the two best jobs that Parkey have done possibly, you know, when he took Bolton up from, from league one when Bolton were an absolute chaos off the, off the field. And then, you know, the, the incredible season last season with Wrexham with, you know, having done a good job at, at Bradford in between that too, but they're very different jobs. You know, Wrexham was kind of being a flat track bully. Bolton was up against it, having to kind of somehow drag a team through some difficult times. The, the best comparison, I think, for Wrexham this season is Sunderland, where it's a big fan base. It's a massive expectation. It's having a camera in your face for most of it and nothing really and nowhere really to hide. And that concerns me because we know that Parker didn't deal too well with, with most of those challenges. So, yeah, in a similar way to Leicester, Wrexham are favourites for League Two, but I think there's loads of teams around there who could, you know, who'll give them at least a run for their money. Yeah, and hopefully that's the last mention of Phil Partinson on the Sunday <laughs> podcast for a while. Um, we can only hope. Um, right, going going back to Sunday this season again, we've gone big on youth. We've signed two 20 year old central defenders, 17 year old centre midfielder, 19 year old striker, an 18 year old striker, and of course Bradley Duck which is the the outlier in in all of that. They've given Tony one. Tony said, just give me yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. He's, uh, he had some meetings about that. I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. uh, on that. You had to do some twisting of the arm. But uh, what's your feelings about the recruitment in general we've, we've got done so far? I'm just excited to see it. You know, there, there are a lot of clubs I could sit on their podcast now and kind of go through the players they've signed and, and give some kind of um, analysis on them. But I'm, as I said, I'm not going to pretend to have seen much of um, of these guys. I'm, I'm as I say, I think you've uh, Sunderland have earned the right to be pretty positive about these players that come in. I think with Hamir, you know, I've seen the clips from preseason. He does look great. As I said, I'd exercise caution here. You know, a lot of players have looked dynamite in preseason and then gone on to to do very little when the season actually begins. Um, in Dak, I think it's a it's a really nice low risk signing where before his injuries, you know, he was a player who was again destined to play Premier League football. Um, he's versatile in that he can play behind the striker, can play as a number nine. He is very, very direct on the ball. He's someone who kind of fits into the um, ball players um, alongside Roberts and Clark and the rest of them. And he's someone who knows Mowbray well. So, um, yeah, I think everyone apart from Sunderland fan Chris Hughes is pretty happy that, that Dak will be at the Stadium of Light next uh, next season. Um, but, yeah, I, as I say, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just excited to see what happens with, with these players. And I'm, I'm really... Yeah, that opening game against Ipswich is going to be interesting because we're going to get our first glimpse as to what these guys can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and one thing about the young players that were brought in, I'm not so sure about Mayenda yet because he's just signed and he didn't, you know, he got injured straight away, so didn't play last weekend. But we've seemingly strengthened the, the kind of the spine of the team with really big players, and mm-hmm. not just in height. But they look. They all all these young kids look physically strong. I mean, is that even more vital when you're going down the route of buying, you know, young players at this level? And and actually looking back to last season, do you think kind of that was almost the difference between us going up and not going up? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it, it's definitely a good way to look at recruitment. You know, I think the the team who've recruited the best in the last few years is, is Luton Town. That's why they've gone from League Two to the, to the Premier League, and their recruitment model is very different to what we've seen from. Brighton, Brentford, even Sunderland, where it's not necessarily all ball players. They've prioritised physicality over anything else. They've ensured that the players that they bring in are able to cope with the physical demands of, of of the game and are able to dominate physically in matches. And it looks like Sunderland, to me, have got a very obvious physical profile that they are looking to recruit, where out on out wide, 
and, and advanced positions, it's, you know, signing diminutive players is fine, but everywhere else on the pitch, they have to be athletes. They have to be players who can dominate on the ball and, and off it as well. And that's really important. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's a very clear Sunderland player in my mind, and that is someone who is good on the ball, but also able to, to do the physical side of the game. Yeah, I mean, obviously we talked, we mentioned it earlier, and there's still time, quite a bit of time left in the in the window. But are you expecting, you know, potentially some late bids for our players? You know, when the because quite quite often there's one big deal in the market that suddenly creates a chain reaction, and deals just start happening everywhere. I mean, could could we be in for some late bids for our players? Probably. I mean, as you say, Stewart is currently um, injured, which helps in terms of keeping him. I haven't seen any links to, to Neil. I haven't seen any links to, to Sirkin at this stage, although I think Sirkin was linked with a move back to Spurs, wasn't he, back in um, in January? Yeah, I, I'm sure you'll come under under some bids. But, the, the you know, the way to think about this, I always say as an, as an Oxford fan as well, we've dealt with it, is, you know, if, you, if you're fielding offers for your players, that is a good thing. If you sell a player in a position that Sunderland's in, yeah, it's, it's always hard to say goodbye, but that's because the value that you value that at them at has been met. And therefore, that's got to be a good thing too. So then you trust the club to go out and spend that money to, to recruit more players who can be sold. That has to be the model. You know, fans who say, you know, you've got to keep hold of your best players for success. Keep hold of your best players unless, you know, you are offered money that you think is over what they are worth to you. And then you sell them. It's got to be the way to, to achieve success sustainably. Well, that's it. I used to care at one point about players leaving, but with the way we've recruited, it genuinely doesn't, doesn't bother me if, if players leave. How exciting to see who the next one in, in the door will be. Exactly. And obviously, you know, I've, as I said, listened to your uh, predictions podcast. Um, and speaking personally, we finished top six last season. So I'm looking for a repeat of that. You seemingly agreed on, on your, your podcast that that's where we should be aiming. But should we also keep in mind that this is only our second season back in the championship? Definitely. I think expectations can don't have to align with kind of you know, success and failure. I, I think Sunderland can absolutely, because he finished last season sixth, expect or hope to be in that conversation. But that doesn't mean that if you're 12th in January, Mowbray out, you know, sat the board, change everything. Um, you have to look at this as a as a whole picture. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would, you have to temper ambitions. But at the same time, you know, Sunderland are a club that never should have been in League One in the first place. And, and now you're operating where you are. You should really be involved in the conversation. Um, I, I don't see any reason with this squad why you won't be. But taking into account the the age of this squad, do you think that could that the expect because there was no expectation last season? Do you think that increase in expectation could have an impact this season? Yeah, possibly. Um, it, it was it was interesting last season that Sunderland's home form was was so poor um, for basically yeah. the whole campaign. Which, when you consider the size of the stadium the ferocity of the support and the age of the squad. Maybe there was something in that. But then, you know, arguably your best home performance of the season came against Luton after a, a difficult start in that playoff first leg. You were absolutely unbelievable for the last hour of that game. So that was the, the most precious situation that you'd had at the Stadium of Light and the players stepped up. So, you know, and, and yes, you know, the, the average age of the squad is is pretty young, but there's a lot of minutes in those legs for, for a lot of those guys. You know, this isn't like this, this is their first experience of it. And after a, a season, last season, as I say, I think Mowbray's biggest strength and skill is that he gets young players playing with such freedom. Um, and, I, and I'm sure we'll see that again. So it could play a part, but I do think the learning curve of, of going toe-to-toe with Luton over those two legs 
even though you came out second best, will will set a lot of these players up really well for next season. Yeah. Right. Now, for our opponents for the season opener, Ipswich Town. And we talked just before we so I've been looking forward to this because <laughs> as we as we discussed before we got going, I've just been away for the weekend with two season ticket holders at Portman Road, one of them a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. And they were they were incredibly bullish about their sides prospects this season, going as far as suggesting the target and automatic promotion. And as I said, I listened to your predictions pod, and then you had a high Ipswich to finish higher than Sunderland. Mm. I mean, like I rate Kieran McKenna. I think he's done a great job, but I just don't get the hype. So you're going to try and have to convince me. So, so firstly, it's interesting that a Sunderland fan would have an issue with this, given that you know you guys went from winning the playoffs in League One to then the next season finishing sixth. So you should know that the, you know the, <laughs> the, 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 there is like a pathway there to be a good League One side and then and then progressing into the Championship. I, I would also say. And I'm I'm happy that no Argyle fans will will be listening to this because I've gotten in trouble for this before. But I I personally think that Ipswich last season were the best team I've ever seen in League One, um, and that is both been, having covered the leagues for the last decade or so, and also as an Oxford fan who've spent a lot of time in this league in my lifetime. Like they were unbelievable. I mean, the fact that they managed to somehow not win the league is massive testament and credit to Argyle for getting the 102 points, 101 points for for that to be the case. But when you look at their their goal difference last season was plus 66, right? Which is over the course of a 46-game season. Manchester City's in the Premier League was was plus 61. So you've got comparable dominance in terms of goal difference over the opposition over the course of the season, um, over the campaign. Like when Ipswich were at it, the, the gap between them and the opposition was was so big. Even when when you you know when you look at um the expected goals from open play ratio last season, so the, their expected goals versus the other teams over the course of the campaign. Theirs was 46. The next best since the 17-18 season was Luton on 30. So 50% higher XG ratio from open play last season than any other team in League One. And they've they've retained McKenna, who seemingly turned down the opportunity to talk to Leicester. They've signed George Hurst on a permanent, who was a massive player for them in the second half of last season uh, as well. They've added a couple of quality players. You know, my um, Chelsea moles tell me that Omari Hutchinson is, is a really, really exciting signing. They haven't lost anybody. So in my mind, you know, if you think back to last season where they played Rotherham in the uh, FA Cup and were favourites to win that game and, and beat them fairly comfortably, they then played Burnley over two legs where they were the better side in the, in the first leg at Portman Road and drew one all and then uh, lost 2-1 at Turf Moor. You know, they gave Burnley in those two games a far better game than the majority of the championship. I think last season, they basically were operating at a, a mid-table championship level um, and they're entitled to come on again. Like I, I I'm... I'd be really surprised if they are not like very, very competitive at the top end. And I think that the star quality they've got in their manager, McKenna, who seems to have it, whatever it is, yeah, I think they're well set for a promotion push. Yeah, But, I mean, you talked about that forward line, and I've seen so much fuss about this forward line. And don't get us wrong, the stats, the stats kind of back it up. But, I mean, you look at them, and Connor Chaplin's had one good season after struggling in his first year at Ipswich, and he struggled at Barnsley before that. George Hurst is another one who struggled in the Championship in previous years. Nathan Broadhead's a fantastic footballer. We loved at Sunderland, but he's got to be wrapped in cotton wool. <laughs> um, Sonny Luco, he hasn't hit double figures since he was at Rangers over a decade ago. So do you, do you think that McKenna's going to get all of these players to step up and become regular Championship goal scorers? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure Luca will play much, but I do think in terms of the other players you mentioned there, it, it's more, you know, I, I genuinely think it's more environment um, often with players. You know, it's so easy to judge. It's very easy for us as fans, basically, to go onto a Wikipedia page and make a judgment about a player when actually, in actual fact, the environment is is almost as important as, as the talent itself. You know, you can see so many players in the past who spend a lot of their, their career. You know, I, I did a bit on this for the uh, the Oxford podcast I do, where if you look at last season's League One goal scorers list, you know, Johnson Clark-Harris, until he was 26, basically never scored a goal and suddenly he's caught fire now at Peterborough, been top goal scorer two seasons out of three. Connor Chaplin, a similar story. Michael Smith, you know, played for Wimbledon and Swindon for the majority of his early 20s, suddenly now is a player that consistently gets 15 plus goals. You know, it's, it's, it's where you play often rather than rather than just the player that you are. You know, Chaplin is now, for the first time in his career, he's just a cog. He's a player who's given a free role in a possession-heavy side, uh, you know, buzzing with confidence. I see no reason why these guys won't kind of re- reflect um, what they did last season going forward into this season than maybe what they've done previously in their in their careers. Um, it's it's easy to get bogged down in you know, assessing squad quality based on a career rather than just looking at the fact that this set of players under the same manager played 60-odd games last season at a certain level. And if they play at that level again, then I think they're a, a top six side, possibly better. Right, well, you, you have blown all of the magic about how I do my prep uh, for these things, about <laughs> opening Wikipedia and, and taking a look at these players. <laughs> but uh, thanks for that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you did mention that, you know, of course, Sunderland finished top six. But, you know, do you think what Sunderland did is actually skewed the, the expectation with Ipswich because when you look at the, when you look back over the years I think there's only kind of was it two or three sides who'd actually you know come up from the third tier and finish top six in the last twenty years or something it's not an easy thing to do with regards to us you know talking about Ipswich Sunderland didn't really come into um, the thinking it's it's not a case of where they did it so therefore Ipswich can do it it's, it's more just a fact of of how highly Ipswich are rated you know if sitting where I am and having full belief that Ipswich are the best team that League One have ever seen or have seen in, in the last however long, then, you know, you've got to stick to your guns given that they've had the, the, the same level and, and think they can do, you know, we saw Sheffield United do under Wilder as well, where there is a pathway for these proper elite League One teams to to step up. And there's nowhere to hide if we get this wrong. <laughs> there's no denying that. <laughs> yeah. But um, but it's, it's going to be, it'll be tough on opening day, I think, uh, for Sunderland because... You know, even though you've got a lot of consistency as well, as I say, it, it could easily be a starting eleven for Ipswich, who, who finished the season last season. So they are—they're very aware of their roles. They're very well drilled by McKenna. They know—they know what they're doing. And again, I don't believe in preseason, but a lot of Ipswich fans are getting very excited by the uh, the trophy they won in some preseason uh, tournament against <laughs> Leipzig and, and someone else too. So um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Well, just based on that, being possibly the the kind of you know same starting 11 as they came up with because obviously I'm glad we're at home on the opening day but with a newly promoted side and everything you've just said about Ipswich I mean is the opening day a bad time to play them straight out the gate um yeah I mean it's hard to say possibly because of the reasons I mentioned where they you know that there's going to be no need for them to gel really um so for that reason it, it might not be ideal having said that I think given that you're at home you know I think if you were going to Portman on opening opening day then that would be a a really tough assignment because they were so good at home last season. Their away form wasn't quite as, as impressive. So we'll see. I mean, it's going to be two teams who like to get the ball down and play, two teams who are very aggressive. Obviously, Tony Mowbray is a bit of a hero around those parts as well. So that'll add another wrinkle to the to the whole occasion. But I'm, yeah, I mean, 
I think of all the games this weekend, there's there's no doubt. Now, I'm going to Cambridge Oxford, which is um, the game I'm looking forward to the most. But on you know, in terms of the TV games, that's the one I'm I'm most excited to see. Well, that's it. I mean, kind of considering some of the football we played last season, and you've just talked about the football Ipswich played. I mean, I'm not expecting a cagey affair, but do you think being the opening day of the season is going to affect the nerves of of some of the players and have a have an impact? I, I wouldn't have thought so. Uh, well, I mean, I think with Ipswich, we know exactly how they're going to play, where they are. You know, they press really heavily. They are very aggressive. You know, the way they operate, I think, doesn't really lend itself to, to nerves. And I think given as well, the way that Mowbray gets Sunderland playing with that freedom of to express themselves, I think it should be fairly open, to be honest. And I think this is a real opportunity for both teams to kind of lay down a marker, I guess, on the season, on, on, live on Sky, and show, show everyone what they're all about. So I'd be, I'd be disappointed if... I'm DMing Roker Report after half an hour saying, oh, no, we drink stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, at this, at this stage, opening day, is it just a flip of the coin or have you got a bit of a good feeling? For that game, I think it'll be really tight. Um, I wouldn't, I mean, I, I would almost say that the, it's one of those games where the draw feels like the likeliest the likeliest result where both teams we, we know are going to be very good. Whoever probably is 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 behind will, will, will come back and be on the ascendancy, so... Sitting on the fence fully here, but you know none of the three results would be would be a massive surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was I was really confident before I spoke to you, and um, I kind of you know kind of regretted it in a way, George, because uh, <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm slightly, slightly worried now. Have I done, but, have, have um, I done a better job persuading you of Ipswich than the two lads you were in you were in Poland with last weekend? Hundred percent, hundred percent, because they they. they they were all hot air and bluster and without any facts to back it up. But uh, unfortunately, I wish I didn't have the facts right now. But uh, but yeah, going away from that fixture, obviously you said you're looking forward to the Oxford fixture, which is uh, which is obvious. But is there any other fixtures that caught your eye? First game, you know, the curtain raiser, Sheffield Wednesday, back in the championship with Cisco Munoz as manager. I'm really excited to see what Southampton looked like under Russell Martin, a manager that I, re- I really like, as I said earlier. And then, you know, it might be boring, but I think Leicester Coventry is the other one and um, the early kickoff on Sunday where, I mean, there have been a couple of occasions, Bielsa's first game at Leeds, where you sat back and you thought, well, what is this we're watching? Last season, company's first game for Burnley against Huddersfield on opening night, where again, it was like, wow, there's a chance we might see that with Maresca. We don't know. We know the football, even if it's not very effective, I mean, it could be, it could might not be, is going to be very innovative and very good to watch. So, it feels like that's kind of must-view TV just because we have no idea what it's going to look like. And if it's good, it, it could be the latest instalment of that moment where you sit back and you think, right, this is a different, to, a bit different to what we normally see at this level. Well, that's it. It's going to be great to, to get underway. And that just leaves me to say thank you very much, George. Thank um, you for having me. It's been great to catch up. I would say it was a pleasure, but you've got me incredibly worried oh, no. uh, for Sunday's game. <laughs> But but there it is. But but hopefully we can catch up. Hopefully we can catch up at some point during the season uh, to see how your predictions are going. Where I might have egg on my face when Ipswich are ten points clear at the top. Fingers crossed. Hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't because I'll get too too many messages from from those mates of mine. But uh, but no, really appreciate it, George. Thanks for your time. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Brilliant. And, and thanks again for everyone for listening. Uh, keep a look out, Rock and Report, for all the build-up ahead of the season opener against Ipswich Town on Sunday. Hopefully uh, everyone's still confident out there <laughs> after George's <laughs> summary. Um, and keep out in all the usual places for the next pod. That should be dropping very soon. But from us, bye for now.